The scripture reading this morning will be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, and that can be found on page 815 in your pew Bibles. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, Juliet, this congregation is full of people who have... Uh, done so well at being friends to, to me and my family. And because it's Father's Day, I want to say a special thank you to everyone here who has helped me go fishing uh, on this visit that we've been in on from Brazil. Um, there's at least like five different people in the congregation who've helped me catch fish. And unfortunately for me, my son has outfished me every time that he's gone with me. <laughs> And we've caught catfish and crappie and bass and striper and yellow bass and trout and bluegill, um, all kinds of different things. And I really appreciate those experiences. I know Jonah does too. If you're a father today, I just want to say congratulations um, for being a father, number one. And number two, I think you are starting your day off right by being here, even if you're not here with your family. For some reason or another, you have started the day off this Father's Day right by being here to worship our Father in Heaven. And I congratulate you on that. So what, I'm, what we're going to do today is I want to present kind of what I see as a problem in some Christian culture. And then we're going to try to dig into why that is a problem maybe and what is a possible solution to it. And at the back end, we'll talk about how to... Uh, maybe put that into place and, and try to practice what we've learned um, in the lesson today. So thankfully, I can say that I, I have been blessed with being a father. I have a seven-year-old son who I'm going to talk a little bit about today. It is one of the most rewarding things that's ever happened to me in my life is to, to have him as my son so far. And Jonah, I hope that it stays that way. No, that's on you. But I remember seven years ago, he was born in Winchester, Tennessee, down in Franklin County. He was born in the hospital there. And I remember holding him in my hands, and he fit. He fit in both these hands. Just, you know, head to, head to toe, curled up, he was in both of these hands. And I remember that night in that hospital room, thinking in that moment about all the potential that lived inside that little bitty body. All the potential that was there for future impact on this world. And, and I know that you've thought that too, if you've had children. Or maybe you've even thought it about yourself and, and what you can accomplish and what you can do uh, in, in this world. And we, we think about and, and plan for our kids' lives 
and what kind of person they will be and what we want them to do and the impact that they will have in their family as they grow older, in their work circle as they go, grow older, in their community and in their, their, um, in their country. And, and maybe we've even thought about their impact in the world. But that's just the thing. Sometimes as parents, when we're thinking about the impact in our, in our future for our children, we cut off our plans for them too early. When it's limited to, to family and work circle and community and country and world, then, then we stopped before we got to the best place, which is eternity. We are selling ourselves short, brothers, when we create such a temporary legacy for our children that our hopes and dreams for them are wrapped up in this non-eternal place. One of the things that Jonah comes up to me and asks almost, I would say, every single month is this question you see on the slide. Dad, no, the, go back to the last slide, please. Thank you. Dad, what do you want me to be when I grow up? He asks me that all the time. Dad, what do you want me to be? First of all, I think it's kid, weird the kid asks me what I want him to be. No, I want you to be what you want to be. But he says, Dad, what do you want me to be? And then he, he qualifies it because he knows what I'm going to say. He qualifies. He says, I mean, like, do you want me to be an astronaut or a Lego maker or, you know, president or a soldier, firefighter, those kind of things, police officer? And when we get to that question... I don't know, but I really believe that, that that's an important moment for a parent. When they look to you and say, Dad, what do you want me to be when I grow up? In that moment, we've got a chance to do something really important. And for too many of us, we can go to the next slide now. For too many of us, our answers are limited to the temporary and physical. And we create temporary legacies for our children. When we dream for them, and our biggest dreams for them are to be Major League Baseball players and engineers and, and doctors and accountants and, and nurse practitioners and lawyers, when, when those are our dreams for our kids, and when that, that's the result of all our energy, then we have set our sights too low. We've, just, we've missed the mark if that's where our hopes and dreams are for our kids. And we are setting them, setting them up to fail when our goals for them are limited to this world. It's like stocking up on the latest fad, you know, that's not going to last. Imagine, here's a good one. Here's a, imagine a child and he, he just got $10. Where does he want to spend that $10 at? The toy store or the candy store? And, you know, he wants to take all 10 oh, I remember I found $20 on the sidewalk one day when I was 11 years old. Guess where I spent it? Baseball cards, all $20. And, and what it was was my parents didn't know I found it. Maybe they would have advised me not to spend it all on baseball cards. And, and as an adult, we can look back and say, hey, that's maybe not the wisest use of your $10 is to spend it all in that toy store, that candy store, because those things are just temporary. And we might advise them, hey, take a portion and buy some candy, but put it in savings, you know? As an adult, we can look down and see that. Well, let me just ask you a question. What do we spend our money on? What do we spend our time doing? 
and, and think about all those things that we put our energy into, our education and our jobs and our homes and, and, and all those things. Now imagine that our father, who is much wiser and much older than us, imagine our father looks down at us. Well, what does he see us doing? Well, can, he, can he call what we do foolish? And would he say that to us? When everything that we're pouring our energy into is temporary? Well, that's like going to the, the toy store and spending everything we have there. In his eyes... I can imagine how it might look. Everything on this earth is temporary and it isn't long term. It is perishable. It is a rotting house. It is a dying company. It is a graveyard of stuff. And the problem is, this is the problem, that we forget that we are not of this place. We forget that. We forget that we are really foreigners, that we are really strangers, that we are really sojourners and slaves in a faraway land. We are the prodigal, the prodigal son enjoying our father's bounty, our father's money in a, play, in a distant land away from his home. And the problem is that we think we are home when we are really far from it. And, and this is the thing, we pass it on to our children. Not in a direct way, but in an indirect way. When we set up their hopes and dreams and our plans for them for an earthly place. So what does God have to say about all this? And that's where we're going to go back to 1 Peter and chapter 2 that was read for us earlier. And did you, did you hear some of those terms that, that were used in that passage? Specifically the first sentence. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And the King James Version says, strangers and pilgrims. He calls us strangers and pilgrims, sojourners and exiles. Well, those names ought to really jump out at us. Why would he call me a stranger? Why would he call me a pilgrim? Well, I'm from here. This is my home. I was born here. And yet he tells us, you're strangers and exiles. Now, my family lives in Brazil, and when we're in Brazil, we really do feel like a stranger. It is easy to know that we are out of place, that we don't fit, that we're different. Uh, people stare at us. We fumble around in their language from time to time. Our clothes stand out from their clothes. Our shoes are different from their shoes. We let our kids play in the rain, and, and most of them don't. Our hair is different. Our skin is different. Our family routine is odd. And our interests and tastes are different from those of our neighbors and friends. And that's being a stranger. And we feel that very, very heavy on us when we're in that, that context. There's a character in the Bible who also felt that way, I think. Uh, he was born to a slave family in the nation of Egypt, yet he was not treated as a slave. He was raised in the presence of royalty, but he was not royalty himself. You know what I'm talking about. It's Moses, the little baby that was found in the basket and grew up uh, being raised uh, because of the protection of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses knew that he didn't belong with the Egyptians. And you know what happened? He escaped. He went to a land called Midian, which was not his home either. 
And then he went back to Egypt, which was not his home, and he led people towards what he thought might be his home, the Canaan's land, the promised land. But then he spent the last 40 years of his life wandering around in the wilderness, and he never did make it to that home. Now, in, in Exodus chapter 2, Moses has run away from Egypt for the first time. And he finds himself in the land of Midian. And he meets a man there who gives him a wife. Verse 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom. Beautiful name, right? Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. I've been a sojourner. Gershom means stranger. What do you think about that? Here's a guy who felt so out of place. He felt so far away from home that he named his firstborn son stranger. Can you imagine feeling that way? And yet for the people of God, if we, have, if we are a person of God, if we follow God, that name really fits us. It really fits us well, Gershom, stranger. That we are strange. That we are from another place. And we belong to a distant land. This is, this is big. Moses gave his son a spiritual legacy when he named him Gershom. When he named him stranger. Because think about his, his walk following Moses. Where did he go? Maybe he went to Egypt. Maybe he went in the wilderness. Maybe he, he was with the Israelites when they came to the land of Canaan on the border and the spies went in and then they, they decided not to go in and wandered around in the wilderness. And then maybe he was part of that group who finally did get to enter into the land. But everywhere Gershom went, he was constantly reminded that he was not at home that he was a stranger there. And Moses did him a favor, I think, by naming him that. Now, returning to the New Testament, back to our passage in 1 Peter, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep the conduct among your Gentiles honorable. I think it's interesting because he's writing to people who could call themselves Gentiles. But he talks about the Gentiles like they're not who he's writing to. And he says... You know, that's kind of interesting. I think it's interesting that he would, he would tell them to keep the, their conduct uh, honorable amongst themselves. That'd be like telling us to keep coming to this congregation saying, keep your conduct honorable among the Tennesseans. Kind of as if you're not a Tennessean. Keep your conduct honorable among the Americans. As if you're not really an American. You know, and if we're not Tennesseans, and if we are not Americans, then what are we? That's the question. I propose to you, brothers, that we are Gershoms too. We're strangers. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Romans 8 is a powerful chapter in the Bible about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for us. And one of the things verse 9 says that it does for us is um, that uh, it's part of the salvation process. Just like Jesus said to Nicodemus in, in John 3 and was confirmed in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 that you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. 
You know, there's no salvation unless you have that spirit of Christ in you. That's what the verse says. But I want to show you something else that it says here in the beginning of the verse. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. <laughs> I think that's, that, that really struck me as odd. I thought, what does that mean? Too often we think of ourselves as in the flesh. Uh, here he is in flesh and blood. No, now here he is in spirit. Now, that's what the Bible's saying. You are in the spirit. You're not in the flesh. Too often we think of ourselves as flesh and, and the spiritual part is this part of the flesh. It's a nice, neat little box where we put spiritual stuff. The spirit becomes contained. It becomes limited. It fails to permeate the, the entire wholeness of our being. And, and get this, brothers, the spirit becomes something that we do instead of something that we are. Notice he didn't say, you, however, do not do what the flesh does, but do what the spirit does. He didn't say that. Now, he does say that in other parts of the Bible. But here the focus is different. He says, you are in the spirit. You are spirit. There's a guy on PBS does lectures from time to time. And I remember he, uh, hearing him say this. He said, we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. Now, let that sink in for a moment. We are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. For me, that is a big change in my point of view. From the first worldview, being physical beings, having spiritual experiences, and we look for spiritual experiences and we seek them out and we want them so bad. Some people will go to great lengths to find a spiritual experience, but for those of us in this congregation, maybe we do things like we look for a mountaintop that keeps us... Uh, feeling good and gives us a spiritual high. They might be our favorite song at church. They might be that amazing sermon, that incredible devotional, or a truly big event like going to Challenge Youth Conference or church camp or Diana singing or something like that. We go looking for these things because they help us disconnect from the world, from the flesh, and connect with the Spirit and our Creator. We know there is something out there that we need to be connecting to, so we seek it and we cherish those few moments when we experience it. But the second worldview, if you understand that we are spiritual beings, if that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience, well, that changes things. We don't have to go seeking those moments of spiritual high because we can live in it. We can wake up each day knowing that when we put on Christ... We are connected to the Creator all the time, constantly. And it is a constant reminder that our physical ex existence here is extremely temporary. It's extremely temporary. That all around us there is something greater going on. There is something happening that's bigger that we are a part of. And it's bigger even than this life. And these 70 or 60 or 89 years or 100 years that we might get here. Should we not make the spirit life, congregation, should we not make the spirit life the primary focus of our existence? 
Shouldn't it become that? And should we not make the spirit life the primary focus of our parenting? I want to share a story with you from someone who has a very different perspective on life than most of us because of his circumstances. One of my closest friends in Brazil, his name is Miguel. He was one of our first converts there. Miguel is a moto taxi driver. I believe Doug Williams from this pulpit shared a story about that a couple months ago. Uh, what that means is he's a taxi, but he drives a motorcycle. So you get on the back of the motorcycle, put a helmet on, He's got a little meter on there, gets you there a lot faster. So, but being a moto taxi driver, he, he will never be a rich man. And he lives in this tiny little place. If you put about three of these pews together, just smack them together, that would be about the square footage of his home where he lives, Miguel. He lives on the top of his grandfather's house. And Miguel comes in and we study the scriptures and we talk and he helps me with some things and I help him with some. He comes in to see me almost every my office or my home. So he really is my closest friend right now in Brazil. And in April, Miguel came into my office and on, on my desk were all these receipts and, and all these bills and, and different things because I was preparing taxes. And Miguel comes in and he sees these things on my desk and he starts to ask me, you know, about that. And we can converse about income and assets and things like that for a few minutes. And then there was a pause. There was this quiet pause. And Miguel says, he says, Nick, actually calls me Nicholas. He says, Nicholas, I don't have anything to leave Bruno and Miguel. Bruno and Miguel are his teenage boys. They're 13 and 16. He says, I don't have anything to leave Bruno and Miguel when I die. And when I die, they won't receive anything from me. But I have made it my goal now to leave them with the best thing I have to give them. Listen to this. I want them to have a knowledge of the word of God. That will be my legacy. So Miguel said to me, and I thought, that's a win in the missionary book right there. But as soon as he said it, I opened up my, my notebook and, and pulled up Evernote and I typed that in so I wouldn't forget it. Miguel has finally gotten to the point spiritually where I learned from him as well. And this was one of those days. He said, I want them to have a knowledge of the word of God. That will be my legacy. Miguel has realized that he's a stranger here. And that he and his sons don't belong on this earth. And he wants his children to know that. Let us make an eternal legacy for our families and ourselves. Let's let our impact go beyond this world and go into eternity. And understanding this, that when we put on Christ, we become citizens of a new world. And all kinds of things become new. We become citizens of a new world a new land, we're given a new family, a new name, and a new home. We are called from the kingdom of death and destruction into the kingdom of the king of kings, and we become members of heaven. Let's go back one slide. Heaven becomes our home. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven. That's all he was about. 
And everybody was waiting for this kingdom, this kingdom, this earthly kingdom. It never happened because it was never supposed to happen. It's the kingdom of heaven that he preached. He is the Lord of lords and continually calls us to become partakers with uh, him in his kingdom. And we can remember the conversation that he had with the religious leader Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3. And you remember what he said in verse 3? He said, unless one is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But buyer beware, it is not an easy road. Kingdom life is not comfortable. Being a sojourner is frustrating and awkward and stressful, I can tell you firsthand. It is. Moses was committed to the path of the pilgrim, but the Israelites that he led out of Egypt were not so steadfast. Real quick, I want to, to briefly share with you their remarks when times got hard in their sojourning, their pilgrim time. In Exodus chapter 14, they left Egypt. They came on to the Red Sea. They have the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them. Listen to what they say in uh, verses 11 and 12. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That is awful, congregation. What he said is awful. It would be better for us to serve as slaves and watch our family members beaten and killed than for us to come out here and be pilgrims. They didn't want to be pilgrims. Two chapters later, they get hungry in the wilderness. Chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, listen to this. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They said, I would rather die fat and hungry, or fat and full, than to be a pilgrim. I mean, they, they wanted to be by the meat pots and eat bread and die there than to be a pilgrim. And then they, they, they travel on and they, they finally get to the land of Canaan. They're on the border of the promised land, their home that God has promised them. And he tells them to go in and they send in these spies. And the spies come back and give a report. And listen to what they say after they hear the report. Numbers 14, verses 2 and 4. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died. We've heard this before, y'all. In the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Now they just want to go back to the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Some of the saddest, this is one of the saddest stories in the Bible because you know what? You know what God did? He let them die in the wilderness. Those people that made that complaining and that grumbling, they died in the wilderness. So this choice to be spirit, to live the spirit life, and to teach our kids and to show them and dream for them in the spirit world, it will not be easy. 
It is not a simple thing to change the way you look at the world. It is not a simple, it is not simple to be spirit. It is not simple to give up your earthly hopes and aspirations for your children and instead create an earthly, I mean, an eternal legacy. You will likely face opposition from within yourself, from your spouse, from your family, and from your culture. You will be weird and odd and out of place and strange, and you will stand out. Without wanting to call attention to yourself, you will. But in the end, where do you want to be a success? Where do you want your children to be a success in the end, when it's all said and done? Here or there? Let us make an eternal legacy for our families. Now going back to Jonah's question, let's go to the last slide, please. Going back to Jonah's question that he asks me, Dad, what do you want me to do when I grow up? I answer him the exact same way every time, and I hope and I pray that this answer will someday pay off. I say, Jonah, I don't care what you do. I want for you to be a righteous man and be faithful to God. And I tell him, I want you to be in heaven with me and your mom when all this is over. It's the same to me if you sit in the Oval Office or if you work a shovel. It's the same to me if you sit in a cubicle or on a tractor. I want you to be a Christian. I want you to be a Gershom. I want you to be a stranger in this place because it's not our home and I am not of this world and I am not of this city and I'm not any longer of this county or this country, or this state. I am of heaven. That is my home. And that is where this road that I am on leads to. And I will call my firstborn and all of my family to join me on that road. What about you, brothers and sisters, today? What about you, fathers and mothers and grandfathers? What will you do for your families eternally? What legacy will you leave for them? Will you join me on heaven's road? Will you leave this kingdom of destruction that we live around and in and become members of the kingdom of heaven? Will you call your children and wives and friends and neighbors to join you? Will you celebrate at the great banquet table, the big party that Jesus is going to have? Will you be there at that party? And will you call your children to join you there during that party of celebration? Will you rest in the spiritual land of Canaan, the eternal promised land? And will your family be there with you? In this moment, I'm going to sit down right here on these front chairs, and I'm going to pray. And there's going to be a song that we're going to sing. And if you need to be born again into the kingdom of heaven, or if you are ready to make things right, if you need prayers, if you need encouragement, make sure we take care of that today. And I'm going to be praying for you and your family. And if you need something, you can come and, and sit down right next to me there. And you can join me. And we'll try to make things right for you spiritually and eternally. It's the best we can this morning. Why don't you come as together?